0: Welcome to the Talking Transformation podcast. I'm your podcast host, Peter Ahmad, recording from Cape Town, South Africa, since June 2019. The Talking Transformation podcast provides an open and accessible platform for built environment professionals and interest groups to share their reflections and aspirations relating to the transformation of places and spaces in South Africa. It's intended to be a celebration of the individuals and community groups who are supporting formal and informal processes that are addressing the challenges of South Africa's history and shaping the future of our neighborhoods and cities. We conclude this Talking Transformation podcast mini-series recorded at the City of Cape Town's Civic Centre, discussing with the departmental officials the scales of planning during the exhibition. We talked to the Metro Spatial Planning team, setting the broad city-wide spatial framework, including the policy and strategy components we discuss the foundations of that scale of planning, including the city's land use model, and spatial costing tools, and the most recent spatial trends report that's just been published. The next level of planning at the district level interprets that city-wide message through clearly defined city districts. We speak to the team implementing those district plans and talk about the Spatial Planning and Land Use Management Act that requires a greater emphasis on implementation and linkages to infrastructure planning, capital investment. We hear from the district team how they're adapting to those requirements and how public engagement has shaped those products. We also hear from team members working on the ground directly via capital implementation projects and pilot sites where integrated planning across departments to implement and realise the city's goals and enhance and expand community infrastructure are taking place. It's a rich conversation with committed and experienced professionals who are honest in their reflections on the strengths and weaknesses of the approaches and the challenges that they face. It makes for a compelling and fascinating conclusion to our series. Thanks to all the participants over the three episodes, and particular thanks to Town Deca Kabeni for inviting me back into a space that I occupied for eight years. The people, the products, processes remain very personal and special to me. I'm grateful to have been able to contribute to this current chapter of the planning in Cape Town from this podcast perspective. We hope the series may have inspired listeners to engage or re-engage. With the material and processes and to think about the numerous opportunities and approaches being used in the city planning space. Best of luck to all and as always we hope you enjoy the episode. So I'm now here with a seasoned podcast hand, somebody who's been in front of the microphone before when we talked about your journey to Tokyo and Japan. It's lovely to see you again in in home environment. Ashley Manyara, how are you keeping? What's news?
1: lovely to see you pete welcome back to the city thank you I mean, for having me.
0: thank you for inviting me it's <laughs> lovely to be here ash
1: yeah no, i've been doing well um it's a great opportunity to showcase what we do especially the more complex things that um like scott being able to present that that's amazing so it's 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 inspiring
0: we'll talk a bit about that spatial costing tool now and how you how you're actually putting it out there today but Let's let's just take, rewind a bit. Tell me a bit about how this event came to pass. Clearly, there must have been a lot of discussion between the various teams and units within spatial planning and urban design as to how to go about it. But explain to us this journey that's led us to uh, this four-day exhibition.
1: Okay, so I I would say that this journey probably started last year when we were drafting the MSDF and the eight district plans. Um, But with the approval this year in January, there was a need to share and extend the message of what the MSDF does as well as how that's translated into the eight district plans. So there was definitely a need for more awareness to the public. And so there was a lot of planning behind and trying to to be able to show the outward tools or the outward products that we provide and what goes into the MSDF and what that means to an ordinary person or a scholar or professional. It's been um, quite engaging because you have officials as well wanting to understand how the MSDF works. So it's, 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 it's a very good environment to incubate ideas. And the planning ultimately was to ensure that we target businesses we target schools we target the academics and have people have a discussion with us we're often very far away from the public I think this is a good opportunity to to get in contact with us
0: on the one hand it's long overdue but second to see this place full and lots of participants I mean there must be over 100 people or more here today it must give you a great sense of pride in looking back and saying as you say sometimes it's really difficult that those engagements do you think there's lessons to be learned here going forward around how we should be using our own sort of spaces that are available to us and how we go about engaging with communities and different sectors of that community?
1: Definitely. I, I think that being seasoned, being here for 10 years at the City of Cape Town, this is my first time seeing such an exhibition and the need for governance and transparency. I think this is what the city is demonstrating, which is very important to allow US citizens to know that we are actively engaging and we are trying to communicate and be able to understand the challenges that are contextual but at a more lived experience. So this does give the opportunity for us to, one, learn in terms of where we are making mistakes and where the missions are and where we need to focus more of our energy. I think that one of the lessons learned is that the MSDF is still quite a complex tool for people to understand and to implement and so trying to explain that to students really grounds you quite a lot in terms of this is what it is, this is what it's intended to do and how that fits in with the IDP. It's been a journey to really translate the importance of our department number one of what we do so not only the spatial planning but all the way into the implementation and so it's a great privilege I think especially from my perspective from Metro being able to draft chapter four and the policy statements within the MSDF but also be able to do a local LSDF process and translate those high level policies from the MSDF into a local area plan and, and be able to engage the community. So it's been a learning curve, definitely. And and being closer to the community. I don't think that we have done this in quite a while and I think it's a it's a good start and I can see that the rest of the departments now directorate are joining us. So it's it's definitely something we should utilize our space more to let the public know what we're doing. To demystify a lot of things. And I think that's what we're doing. Like identification, demystifying that, you know, having the opportunity to converse about what it actually means and some of the implications and why it's important. So it's been a great experience to explain in the most basic way why an MSDF is important, why we need to restructure our urban form and hearing the alderman reiterate those key concepts. It's very powerful, means that the message is being grasped at the high level and now we also need to ensure that we can translate that at a more localized and lived experience level
0: and having listened to what people have said and the feedback you have received over the last two days this is the third of, of four what is the feedback that you're getting And i mean maybe you want to reflect a bit on that spatial costing tool which is being presented here and just some thoughts and and perspectives that you've heard back from people
1: the very first session we had with businesses was quite informative, presenting the spatial costing tool and explaining how one can use it in terms of feasibility and our plans to make it more outward facing and more accessible. That was something that was met with a lot of support internally and externally. I do recall my mentor Mark Job, actually saying he's very excited about Scott because we are going to make it a lot less complicated and have a user interface that anyone can use. A lot of that has been reinforcing in terms of good decision-making, what's a good decision? So having the Scott as an example of how the city is striving towards those objectives, that's been quite useful. I think the second reflection was with one of the businesses, the IPPs, wanting to understand how the MSDF and the district plans kind of influence that space. And Luckily, the work that I did with the JICA course and Scott, we did manage to incorporate a lot of the renewable energy sector. That was a big step forward for us to be proactive. And now we're looking at more performance based assessment using Scott and identifying industrial areas and the potential to, to match the skills and labor and incentives that are available from the Department of Trade and Industry. So it's been a great experience reflecting in terms of the opportunities that urban planning and design can have an impact on the economy and so it's been profound the feedback so far.
0: That's really encouraging Ash and more strength to you and the team in terms of say going beyond just a, a policy statement of we want more industry we want more job creation which are very very typical policies but then how and what do you then start to build on the back of that and things like Scott clearly starting to make an impact. Anything else just in, before we start to wrap in terms of things that you've seen or maybe something that surprised you over the last few days?
1: It's lovely to see my former lecturer, Dr. Belinda Vister. I think that's made me very proud. I think that just going back, that's what, 15 years ago, it's, it's amazing you know, and she still remembers me and the passion. So that, that's that been very um, reinforcing that one of her students is here, I think, they Steph and she's excited about Scott and, and really links to some of the thinking that is happening externally. So there's a lot of synergy and, and this is the opportunity to connect that. So, yeah, that's been probably the highlight for Wonderful.
0: me. Wonderful. So. Well, I'm sure she's very proud of you, Ash. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us today. Thank, Thank you. you so
1: much, Pete.
0: I've now got with me... Yako Petzer, also working within the Metro Spatial Planning team. Yako, lovely to see you again. How are you keeping today? All well? Fine, thanks. Good to see you as well. It's, it's really good to be here with you, Yako. You're showcasing a number of things here. I think not least the land use model, some of the thinking behind that. Maybe just explain a bit about what that process and the engagement that you go through to be ultimately able to release a land use model.
2: So there's maybe two components that I can mention that, that I was involved in specifically. The one would be the spatial trends work and the other one, the land use model that you mentioned. We created brochures and extracts out of the reports for that. On the spatial trends, it's an entire series of how the city changes over time. We, We tried to theme it in specific categories and then also try and focus on what's important for planning. So you will see various metrics that we calculated for that over time up to where the data allows. That's sort of the backward-looking information, looking at trends, what happened in the past, and then the land-use component is the one where we try to imagine what will happen in the future. So there yeah, there's material available, and uh, I saw there was lots of interest in some of those things. Interest varies as well. So some of the people I spoke to we're very much in- interested in that component of the work to get it out there is a is a long process those calculations and just getting the data takes a long time uh, also we only recently started with it so it's still sort of in its baby shoes hoping to to make a lot more of it and get more people involved in the, the actual calculations and entire process but i think so far the feedback that we got is that the information is important and it should be shared quite widely with uh, with you know everybody who needs that kind of information. At the moment, we're just finishing up this round with the financial year and then we'll
0: take it for the next round. I can't let you go without asking you the questions about big data. You've been very much at the forefront in municipal planning around thinking about how to work with very large data sets like cadastral bases, a million or more cadastral units, and then saying, okay, what's the land use behind that? And land use is segmented into many different categories. And before you know it, you've got tens of millions of entries of of data. How have things improved and enhanced in terms of speed of system or the automation processes that you might have put in place? How is it different to, for example, when you tackled the land use model of say 2013 the land use model of 2023 and is it easier or does it just get more and more complex because of the refinements that you're looking to employ
2: yeah big data is with us and when you start integrating those data sets they become big quite fast we also increase that size because of the fact that we joining attributes to the spatial information so you, you also have those fields to contend with what makes it interesting is because you, you're working already with big data sets and then you have the time dimension, you have the space dimension. So I think over the years, the, the approach has changed a little bit. I think the tools have gotten better as well. I, mean, I remember just working on something like an iPadable Plus or Excel, Excel. You can't even handle those number of records. So we are thinking about it more from a... I would say a spatial data science almost view and employed many of those tools that the data scientists also use. Many of that is available in the packages that we use today. Typically, it would involve something like ArcGIS Pro with a Jupyter notebook and you know, like data science tools like pandas. So those help. The computers that we use is still okay. We can, we can use that. That gets the job done. Uh, as far as the automation is, con- is concerned, that's obviously the, the end goal, to automate these things as far as possible. If you have to do 30 different indicators and you have to do it on an annual basis, uh, you need to take the automation as far as possible. I think we've made advances in, in that, but like I say, I think for, for the first time have all the indicators that we want to be looking at, we know what those are. And uh, that is a, was a first big step now we can start you know really digging into those there's always the different people who will always have ideas of adding more things i think we should keep our focus you know what's important to us it will be an interesting space going forward and what we have at the moment is, is sufficient data is getting bigger yes but uh, i think we'll manage
0: i'm really wishing the best of luck with it Yako. i'm sure tomorrow in the conversations with the industry practitioners You'll get a lot of positive feedback. I think it'll be a lot of appreciation for the amount of work that's gone in behind the scenes. It's like lifting the lid on the on the car. Hmm, you yeah. you don't actually quite know what's under the bonnet. Uh, I've I've got a, an appreciation of how much time and effort has gone in there, and I just want to say thanks very much and good luck. I hope the feedback you get is really reflects the, the effort that you've put in. Hopefully, you get a chance to see you with your honorary PhD before too long <laughs> on uh, data science and your contribution in this space. All the best, for Thank you. Thank you very much, Pete. I'm now joined by two former colleagues, lovely to see you both, Margie and Dominic, really good to have you both here, representing the district spatial planning team. If perhaps you can tell us, uh, first of all, introduce yourself and tell us a bit about the work that you do.
3: I'm Margie Mocott. I'm a planner with the district spatial planning branch and I work in the Blauberg and Table Bay district. We have just completed our district plans, um, which outline the spatial planning for the areas and we work on a number of local spatial frameworks as well. Um, We do a lot of community participation, and yeah, uh, we like to get out in communities and get everyone's input.
0: And this is a different way of doing it, I guess, with uh, bringing people here to the Civic today. So thanks for that, Margie. Dominic, welcome, sir. Hi, thanks for
4: having me. I'm Dominic Stanford, and I too work in the district special planning branch. I work under the Halderberg and Karalitscha district. Also been involved in various local special development frameworks. Yeah, I'm very excited to be here today, like I said, uh, just to expand on what the department's done is very exciting, to say the least.
0: Well, it's very impressive. I've worked in and around the material for a number of years, but to see it all come together and being such a diverse range of participants that you've invited people from the outside as well as showcasing your material. This is quite different, Margie, to the public participation that you would have had to do because regulation required it during the MSDF and district planning space. So. What is the sort of sense that you've had around how useful and the feedback that you've been getting from people who've engaged in the last few days?
3: In the last few days, we've had a lot of very good feedback. Um, We've had some real leaders in the field and experts come in and give us input into our plans. We have covered issues like heritage and how that fits in and how we develop the city according to our plans and goals um, alongside other legislation and requirements. And we've had um, interesting discussions around how we can use technology and communications to improve our plans. I'm quite interested in how we can gamify urban planning more and, and make it more accessible and, and make all the different considerations available and visible in the way that uh, you did it back in uh, with SimCity and those games, but, you know, to make it more customizable. So we've had some fun chats around that and just a, a lot of diverse inputs. And the students today have been terrific. I've really enjoyed Absolutely. their presentation. it
0: been very impressive. So,
3: yeah, a lot of interesting uh, cross-pollination that can happen between different industries and different stakeholders.
0: Wonderful. Thanks for that, Margie.
3: Dom, I think relative
0: terms, you're still quite young within this city of Cape Town environment. But tell us a bit about, you know, your journey to here and what you've heard over this last few days. Just to reiterate Margie said, it's
4: been very I would say useful in terms of letting people know what we actually do. Outside of my working times, people ask me, so what do you do? I'm say, I'm an urban planner. Oh, what's that? I plan for the city or oh, I plan towns. Oh what's that? So it's a very complex thing. That sounds very simple. So in this past few days I've really enjoyed engaging with people I actually want to know what urban planning is and to sort of explain to them the complexities, yet the sort of subtleness of urban planning. I always say it's a human connection. There was one student who wants to become a chartered accountant, and I was wondering, okay, so you're at the urban planning event, interesting. I was like, now it's always know what, how we develop houses. And then I told him, houses is very important, but it's, it's such a layered profession. And then by the end of the conversation, it's like, okay, I might consider doing urban planning. Um,
0: Are you converting people now? Dan? I am converting, <laughs> <That's> yes. fantastic. <laughs> <laughs>
4: and yeah, I just said in the most simple ways, just everything we do and everything we see is a sort of implication or a result of urban planning in some way or another. And I think just explaining things to that sort of simple lens excites me. Um, Wonderful. So yeah, it's been great to say the least and I'm looking forward to more of these type of events.
0: I'd love to hear what your sort of thoughts were in relation to... The district planning process and the public engagement I think that would have been your first time you would have gone into that at that level of detail and maybe you just want to reflect a bit on that and your journey in that space where do I begin
4: it's been a big learning a learning curve for myself as a sort of personal individual bringing people together on the table it's not always a sort of Perfect situation because nothing is perfect. Of course. A lot of human elements, like I said, because planning is emotion I think it goes back to that emotional sort of level. But I, I've learned a lot and I've learned how to sort of engage with the material in a different way, not from an academic point of view, but a more personal level. And I feel like the district planning and MSTEP processes has been, it's been run beautifully, uh, to say the least. And yeah, it's been respected as well. I'm looking forward to further engagements, especially when it comes to the RSTF level now. Sure. You're going We're to be embarking be... on different, more projects that stems from the district plan. So I'm looking forward to further engagements because people have a slowly, they're getting an idea of what urban planning is. So I think it all boils down to that.
0: I've no doubt that even the feedback that you get from these next few days, particularly tomorrow, I think when you're engaging with the practitioners, yeah. will be really helpful in taking it down, that next, that next layer in the onion, if you like, peeling off the layers from city down to the neighbourhood. Margie, you've been around. You've, mm. You know this game. You've looked at it with, through a Salga lens. Now you've been in with the city mm. for many years. Just your observations, and again, the feedback that you're hearing from people yeah. over this last few days.
3: It's been a really fruitful f- few days. But I'd like to also respond to that um, the question you posed to Dominic around the public comment period in the district plans and and in our local spatial frameworks. You know, we started it three years ago and we had a lot of engagement with the usual suspects. So it would be people that are engaged in development practice. And gradually we've been getting ourselves out there more and we've been challenging ourselves to make our material more and more accessible to a wider audience. And lately in our local spatial framework processes, we are getting our ideas and we're getting our inputs in creative ways and you know through using models and other tools so that we can actually engage with r- kids up to you know people who can't read and write and and you know all kinds of stakeholders who are interested so we're broadening our reach and we look forward to building that capacity to engage with urban planning in the city that's what I'm excited about and this event also speaks to.
0: What I'm hearing there, Margie, is that a lot of it, this idea of tactile and interactive as opposed to a sort of, I don't want to call it death by PowerPoint, but we know what that looks like in in our game. But this seems to be a lot more of a two-way conversation, if you like. And as you say, whether it's somebody you can read or it's the, the right language, when you're displaying things, particularly with diagrams and maps and so forth, All of a sudden, it's a different language. I mean, Mm. Dominic, your thoughts in in regards Mm. to that, that, the medium and the mode of engagement?
4: Yeah, I think medium and the medium and choice of how you present and articulate your work in any field in that matter is very important. And like you said, to step away from that conventional way of doing things of PowerPoint and here we go. What we're doing now, like Margie said, we're going to another level of a substantial amount of sharing knowledge which it should be always about, this, but how do we share it, sit together and like, have a podcast like this and talk to one another? And this is one medium as well, doing a podcast, which I thoroughly enjoy listening to. But it's identifying what people actually do like doing and how do you sort of complement that through the work we do. So drawing or putting up sticky notes or having maps on the on the table and actually talking with kids like Marjali, talking with others, actually drawing and bringing things down to a more simple, once again, human level is I think what we're trying to do and what we are getting at. So that's exciting.
0: Well, more strength to both of you and to the teams that you represent. It's really, really so, so heartwarming to see what you're doing and really very, very proud of the achievements here. I hope that this is something that will get replicated, both in terms of more sort of smaller events elsewhere throughout the city and ultimately you can impact very directly on those other processes that we've talked about. But to the two of you, thank you so much for your time today. Good luck. Good luck tomorrow. I'm sure the, the the industry will have its say tomorrow. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. And I'm sure you'll be ready to to welcome them with open arms. All the best. Great. Thank you very much. So here we are on the ground floor of the civic centre, and I'm absolutely delighted to be with Mike Brook and Vernon Munsami and Kurt Kruger, three representatives from the spatial targeting and mechanisms team. Tell us a bit about what's going on, Vernon. What's been? What's all this about? For somebody who's got no idea what you've been doing. What is it you've been doing and what have you been seeking to achieve through it?
5: We're throwing a four-day exhibition to showcase some of the work that we've been doing in urban planning and design. A lot of what the public gets to see is mostly our approved policy documents like the MSDF and the district spatial plans that have been approved. But they don't necessarily get to see the inner workings of the department in terms of the multifaceted work that we're involved in, you know, like spatial targeting and data analysis, some of the capital investment projects as well that our urban design colleagues implement. Some of the more process-related institutional uh, mechanisms that we do to help our sister departments like human settlements and the energy directorate, things that we don't necessarily advertise like we do with policies and we're targeting different stakeholders. So for instance, on Friday we had a scholar day to sort of speak to students who are going into university and try and show them the different options that they could pursue in terms of our department and directorate. And then today we're doing an academic day for some of our planning students for them to showcase the work that they're doing and share some of the projects and information that they sort of studying at the, at the university level. That's my summary of the events so far.
0: And I mean, Mike, the reception that you've received, what, what have people been saying when they've come, where have people come from, and what have they been saying?
6: I think people have been generally very positive. It's nice to see everything in one place. I've also, people have commented that seeing the department, so there's different parts of the department together, Makes it clearer as to who urban planning and design is. It's always been sort of an amorphous clumping of an organisation, whereas now this actually breaks it down into meaningful clusters and how it all fits together. I've just had my um, grandparents come past, and I've tried for years to explain what I do and how it works. And having it all out together in sort of a layout, you can walk them through. This is the MSDF all this you know the metropolitan spatial policy you've got the district policies you've got the local plans here's how urban design fits in there's the landscape branch there's urban sustainability unit how it all fits together so i think that's been a big benefit of it so far
0: today vernon we've got the stellenbosch university uct university cape town as well as i think the cape peninsula tech A range of inputs what's the idea of of pulling them into this space and trying to get their reflections and the design elements that they've been bringing any thoughts of what you've either seen or what you've what you're hoping to get out of it
5: Well, I mean, I think there's two parts to it. So for them, it's also to understand what we do as the city of Cape Town and some of the different fields that they may want to go into after completing their degrees, um, whether it's undergrad or postgraduate degrees. And then I think for us, it's also to understand some of the innovation that they may be looking at in academia that we can also learn from going forward in terms of our work and projects that we deal with. I think that's sort of my take on it. How have things
0: like the district plans, which I know you guys worked on for a number of years, how have those landed? Not just in this space, but more generally, since I think they were approved a few months ago. Uh, just a sort of a, a bit of a take on that.
5: Well, I mean, I think Gert may have more to say about that because he's in the district planning branch of the department, but generally, from my perspective, we were more involved with the implementation plans. So we looked at sort of public investment related projects as well as mechanisms that could support the spatial vision. And one of our projects that's out at the moment is the NHRA exemptions, the Section 38 and 34 exemptions, and there's been a quite a positive response to that.
0: That's the National Heritage Resources Resource Act. 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 Right, so
5: basically, it's the 60 year building clause, and then also if you want to consolidate more than 5,000 metres squared, you have to do a notice of intent to develop. So it's an application that you have to go through and we're trying to obtain exemptions from that in spatially targeted areas that were identified through the district plans. As far as response to the actual policy regarding the land use application process, do you maybe have any inputs on that? How's it being received from applicants and alike?
7: Okay in first instance there is I think from district to district there is a huge difference or variation in details contained in the district plans. Legislation like Spluma and the like has now introduced the word implementation. And I think that is bringing to the fore a different dimension of policy versus implementation. And where are we moving on to from here? Because the district plans are putting forward very much still land use policy guidelines, which I believe that should be more detailed in order to give direction to developers and not be as vague as in certain instances and generic as those development guidelines are, but then the question is to move on to products where implementation is playing a larger role. And the question remains, what is meant by implementation? This was a first step at implementation, introducing the work that Vernon and Mike and are doing but is that adequate is that what is meant by implementation because it is also the first time now that the policy plans have been linked to the sector plans of the utility directorates and I still believe there's a huge gap or vacuum of understanding the link between policy planning and the sector plans then dealing with capital projects especially regarding bulk services provision.
0: Colleagues, thanks very much for your time. Reflections, are all the very best for the rest of the exhibition. Thanks for your time today. So I'm now joined by former colleague, good friend, Liesl Kruger-Fountain. you to see you. How are you keeping today? You well?
6: I'm good, thank you. You Pete.
0: All good this side, thanks. Really excited to hear about your observations, your thinking about what you've seen and heard mm. over the last few days since the launch on Thursday. But also, what you what are you presenting? I'm sure you're going to be talking to the various uh, visitors about the work that you're doing about Potsdam. Maybe you want to tell us a bit about the work that the sustainability unit that you, you, you work with. What is it doing and what is this whole process and program that's unfolding in Potsdam?
6: Hi, Pete. Thank you. Yes. Uh, we're in the envious position to be within government, but being able to kind of like look at experimentation, demonstration, you know, that understanding what sustainability might mean for us as government. A very tricky space in terms of failing forward for anybody. But yes, we've got this one site that we've identified through the district planning, etc. work that's been done that came out as just this site that offers something different, uh, opportunity to learn from. And use a city asset in that way to promote this idea of a journey that we are on. Not that there's no answer, no definite answer. And this is this journey that we're on for climate change, sustainability, moving forward. The Portsmouth site itself is incredibly well located in an area of problems, refinery, deep river issues, the sprawling nature from the noon industry, everything. So it is kind of incredibly interesting space for learning from. If we really understand what this urbanization is going to mean for our city in the foreseeable future, then that area is really a case study to kind of go and see what it can be and what the issues that comes with it, but also the opportunities that comes with it. So I think by highlighting it as a space where um, I always joke and say it's a sandpit to come and play in. We were all still young. When you're young, you're able to think creatively, to not think about the grown-up way of thinking of the problems. And then to migrate to what we will call, like to call the site then is a campus, a sustainability campus, where maybe private sector, government, communities, everybody can kind of learn from. Maybe even having curriculums later on that communities can learn from. So yeah, um, very exciting space.
0: If I remember back to our conversations about the site a couple of years ago, one of the things that was really not just interesting, but was unique about it was the number of departments that would mm. need to play in that mm. space, in yeah. the sandpit, as you yes. call it, because they'd be required to play a role. So the idea of a very sort of integrated approach, integrated management of Definitely. project management. Do you want to maybe just touch a bit on that of what, why so many departments would have to get involved?
6: Yeah, well, we, we drew the line, the outline of the campus site a little bit wider than just saying an earth. So it picks up on waste management, the public transport interchange that's there, and a question centre, water and sanitation facilities. So immediately, you know, it brings up that idea of transversal, working together, looking at the problem as an integrated problem, not as a sort of a, a separate problems. And through that, actually kind of understanding what the cumulative effect is of things. How could the horses help with manure? that the waste facility with um, compost um, in terms of uh, organic waste can kind of contribute to composting that the farm can use? Uh, How does mobility assist with getting people to the site where they can learn about it? So it really rapidly became an understanding of how, if we think integrated systems, that integrated systems thinking, if we think that way, how would we approach issues and how would we approach urbanization, urban growth, um, helping our communities to be more resilient for what's coming? And if we as government can trial that out of how we work better together as individuals, and rightly so, we we have our silos because there's certain budgets that have to be managed in certain ways. Yes, but how do we combine that and think over those lines so that we start thinking how that could work? And now, immediately that brings urban facility management into the role how do we manage urban facilities how do we think about them how do we think differently about space rather than just then as one asset but a wider asset that helps the wider community as well because people can come here to learn from it but also utilize it so yeah that then
0: because I mean I I guess it's proximity to to noon that Mm, you've mentioned immediately sort of would be well if it's available it would be great for housing right Mm -hmm. and I think that's been one of the things that you've when I say pushed back on, you've looked at it of saying, it needs to be more than that. It needs to be a much broader canvas. And as I say that integration of definitely. different elements and that sustainable arc that, that is so definitely. fundamental to, to, to the work that you do.
6: Definitely. I think the blast zone or the, the chaos zone, crisis zone of the refinery gives us that sort of understanding that this site is not really a housing site. And also, in terms of human settlements housing, you support some people with an element of city making our focus in government is a lot on housing and provision of housing but that infrastructure provision and then also economic and vocational training empowering our communities we have millions of people coming to cape town for the good reasons they're coming here to can like see a new life to find a job to make a life we need to be ready to receive those communities not just in terms of housing but also in terms of how we empower them to be able to be good citizens, to be citizens that can actually contribute to the system rather than just be dependent on government in terms of the solution. If we don't work together, we're not going to have a future together.
0: What maybe surprised you in terms of the feedback that you received? And what are the things that have really reinforced the approach that you've taken? Just your sense of how things have been received in particular relating to your project.
6: Well, it was incredibly interesting when high-level people out there came over and said, wow, is the city actually being able to kind of really get their hands dirty in terms of trying to figure out how to move forward? To be able to play in this experimental space is incredibly fortunate. We know that there's a lot of responsibilities that comes with it. But to showcase that we're playing across scales... Trying to integrate the thinking, try to make those policies and strategies that the city always write real in a site and understand how do we make it work so that we are becoming an example for the private sector, for academia, for everybody to work together rather than kind of like everybody in their own little corner trying to make it all work. I think that's the opportunity and that's what came out of this was, um, you know, sort of support from political sphere, support from our sort of administration, support from the private sector who's excited with us. um, And we grabbed by the arm by someone quite high up to say, well, we would love to know more about this because it speaks to more than just one element. It speaks to that real city making from waste to transport to examples to, you know, there's not a, not an element that we can't learn about on the site so yeah i was i was surprised um grateful that people are starting to see that the value that we're trying to bring to it it's not going to be an overnight thing it's unlocking it with the community and we've had really great support from ICLEI, um and from other from the institutions even the students that came um because it's not just portstom it's the wider context the Danoon, the kind of like everything that's working together so understanding the concept understanding the context and bringing all those things together with communities, the wider fraternity is, I think, a really exciting space to be in. And yeah, we're hoping that everybody will contribute to it as we go forward.
0: I'm sure you'll get some feedback tomorrow from the practitioners. Mm -hmm. I know they've always got some interesting perspectives and I've no doubt you'll find a lot of support in there as well. All the best to you and the team, uh, Liesl. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us today to reflect on that. And before I let you go, just if anyone wanted to find out more about this Potsdam campus where can people find out more about it either online or how can they get hold of you
6: well we're starting to go more live with this with ICLEI we're proposing to have a stakeholder engagement period in September so please keep a lookout for that otherwise you can make contact with us directly in the urban planning and design department the urban sustainability unit just ask for us and hey we're trying to kind of work together here so no idea is too foreign for us to talk to okay thank you so much for this
0: Thank you. All the very best to you and the team. Thanks, Liesl. (laughs) Thanks, Pete. Cheers. We find ourselves with, let's call it, not the last link in the chain, but certainly an important part of the process. Here with Fabio Company from the Construction Management Unit of the Spatial Planning and Urban Design Department. Fabio, how are you keeping today, bud?
8: Ah, thanks, Pete. Thanks so much for the opportunity and thanks for getting us in. I'm doing quite well. As you can see, it's quite a turnout in the exposition. We have got a lot of people going around and asking questions. So we got quite a good turnout. So I'm quite happy to hear all the questions and things that have been asked and all the answers been given. A lot of knowledge and wisdom being shared, definitely from the students and from the practitioners all together. It's a beautiful space to see how practitioners, students, and even the city officials basically in one space cooperate and have a wonderful discussion about what is happening out there and how we can make the city better.
0: You've nailed it, Fabio. I mean, this is something that I think we could only have dreamt about a couple of years ago, and it's actually happening now to see diverse groups, people engaging on the same issues, planning issues, some of which are quite complex and difficult to touch and feel, others which are very much tangible. And I think that's where your construction management unit comes in is this ability to translate the high-level plan All the way down into the actual ground and actually doing it and tell us a bit about the work that the construction management team are doing presently
8: to to tell you the truth definitely we have to actually take all the vision missions and the dreams that guys have and all the complexities we have to basically make it work and bring it into reality so that people can actually see how the vision is tried through Currently in our space, we call the urban development implementation within the unit. We do various type of construction. We actually do from coastal designs, from coastal buildings and infrastructure to buildings in terms of nature reserves, and even city of offices blocks, etc. that we're doing. So a lot of commercial, official work that we're doing, and a lot of civil engineering work. Some of the interesting spaces of what we're doing is also the landscaping environment, where we basically upgrade public open spaces, which gives us a, a variety of things that we actually incorporated. So we take the whole dream of what we have in terms of urban planning, and then we create the reality in terms of it. So it's quite an interesting space because we have to listen to all the philosophical things that is being said and taking the frameworks and policies and procedures that we have currently around um, that people dream about and put it into drawings. And then we actually have to take that drawings and push it through so that it actually becomes a project. And as you know, when we're doing projects, there's a lot of benefits that we need to consider and a lot of VASPs and multiple um, stakeholders that we need to consider with all of them having their own interest. So when the ball comes to us, we're getting a hot ball and we actually now have to deal with a vast multiple stakeholders that we have to encounter. And that just doesn't even mean just external pro- external stakeholders, but also internal stakeholders. And as you know, there's a variety of stakeholders and especially our communities because we're doing all of this for the communities and for a better city overall. So we want to improve the quality of life of all citizens and some of these processes are key for that to unlocking even certain things. As you know, things drop down from the node environment into the town planning environment, and then to the physical project. So with that being said, we have quite a number of things that we need to consider when it becomes a project. But just having the understanding of the overall of the holistic process is quite key for us.
0: We've spoken this afternoon, Fabio, to planners, to architects, to urban designers, as well as the students in different fields. But from that construction management, I guess it starts to blend another series of disciplines, which almost you're picking up from where the planners left off, the architects, etc.
8: Yes, definitely. So where we pick up is basically we have to actually take all of these things that has been said, which is basically the drawings and all the construction documentation that we have, and we actually have to create the physical building with it. So there's a vast of things that we need to consider when we're doing this. And as you just mentioned, is that there's a different stakeholders or project team members that we have to consider when we drop down to a project. For instance, we have to work with engineers, we have to work with the town planners, we have to work with the architects, we have to work with clerk of works, we have to work with construction managers, and of course, our local contractors as well as the subcontractors. So there's a vast of stakeholders within the project that we need to consider and taking those type of things including the students that is also working on these projects that sees actually that the plans or the dreams that we have coming into reality is quite significant to what we're doing so we actually have to engage with the entire process and make sure that along the process that every single key stakeholder is included and inclusive of all the processes and as you know always we don't get it right there's several things that we must one or two stakeholders and then we have to after we'll take them through the process and go and redo. For instance, public participation is one key process that we have to go through when we're going into construction management. And to go through a public participation process, we actually have to take all the plans that we have, the visions of what the buildings or the dreams is of these buildings, and actually explain to them what is the future that's gonna hold with them. And as well as as we know we've got uh, job creation that's coming with all of that, and our EPWP programs that comes with it. So we have to actually tell the communities as well what is the benefit for them and as well as empowerment to job creation during the period of time from the construction side during the construction appointment of the contractor and as well as the operator maintenance afterwards what is the value what is the benefit in terms of that that we also need to consider and i think students while they're doing life cycle testing and asset management they bring out a lot of these things that we don't normally see as practitioners you become blind to the process because you get ingrained with with all the guidelines and process with internal processes however students and as well as the academics bring that that finesse that I can say that we haven't seen for because they go and do research, they bring out new elements, we get new critical items that we can consider and that helps us as practitioners to basically go out and improve our construction management sure. and the project management overall. So it keeps it fresh. Keeps, keep, keep, keeps keeps it keeps it fresh. the innovation
0: real as, as opposed to the, the daily grind of... The process, the SEM. I think that keeps us
8: up. I think uh, keep us up and on our toes with our works, as you know. There's a vast of a lot of processes and procedures that we as project managers need to consider, and making sure that the construction goes well, the contract management goes well, and overall the stakeholder management goes well. After all, and with all these new processes, we become the resilience in terms of change management. So we are the for, at the forefront of the change management because we make sure that regulations are followed. We must make sure that standards are followed, and as well as that. People deliver on milestones of the project itself.
0: I know one of the things that we see a lot of headlines at the moment in the media is around this construction mafia and so forth. Is that something that you'd want to reflect on about how within your team and unit, A, you're keeping yourself safe, B, that you're securitizing the projects that you're involved in?
8: Definitely. I think um, overall in South Africa, there's quite a key thing that is happening all over and I think everybody's aware of it and we're becoming quite sensitized to the to the fact of the construction mafia so what we do in our team is we're well aware when we we're designing within an area we make from the town planners from the visionaries for the project we make them aware of the local context so that we take all of that into account And within the city of Cape Town, we have a good security and safety team that is actually trying to develop something that can help us and assist us through the process to make sure that we have the correct safety and security processes within our our documents for the construction team to be safe. But overall, safety comes first and we always stick to that principle.
0: Absolutely. And tell me, Fabio, where can people find out more about the various projects that you're doing, whether it's a website or whether it's a contact person within the team?
8: They can find us on the City of Cape Town website and as well as they can contact ourselves within the urban development space. You will find all our details on the City of Cape Town website. So if you go into there, you will definitely find us from the ED level straight down to myself and you can contact us at any time for more information.
0: Con thank you enough for your time this afternoon, Fabio. To you and your team, keep doing what you're doing. You're making a big difference or making a big difference to the communities that you serve. Thanks very much for your service.
8: Pete, same to you, man. It's always good to be here and always to see you. With the Keep up the good work. I think you're sharing a lot of wisdom and knowledge, and I think people learn a lot from your podcast. Personally, myself, keeping and following you, it definitely provides some insight from different perspectives. So please, love and art to you, man. Keep going.
0: You're a superstar, Fabio. Thank Cheers, you, my friend. Man. Bye-bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this content of the Talking Transformation podcast. Please feel free to give us feedback via our Twitter platform, at. At Talking Transfo and the number one, or alternatively via our email address, Talking Transformation 101 at gmail.com. Thanks and recognition also to Tribal Need for allowing us to use their track Flags as our introductory
7: and closeout music on this podcast.